It was somewhere near Salinas, Florida. <laughs> Let him have a cup of coffee. Hey, podcast listener, you're about to discover insider tips, tricks, and secrets to making more sales and converting more prospects into customers with email marketing. For more information about the email marketing podcast or the autoresponder guy, go to dropdeadcopy.com slash podcast. Hey, everybody, it's David Allen. I'm back with another edition of the podcast, and we have a very special guest on with us today. He's a copywriter. He's a mentor. He's an author. He's many things, but he is someone who's going to immediately help you fix your copy, make it better and make the money and or indoor conversions just roll right in. Now, David Garfinkel, you are a mentor to a bunch of superstar copywriters. Maybe talk a little bit about how you got into being a mentor Sure. Yeah. Well, I was originally a hotshot journalist who hated the hot and the shot part. I just, it wasn't fun. Um, I kept doing better and better. I was San Francisco bureau chief for McGraw-Hill World News. Now, that might mean nothing to most people as it should, but inside McGraw-Hill, that was like the, that was like the brass ring in the corporate world where I really didn't belong, but somehow found my way in there. I got this job that someone else had fought off all comers to for 40 years. She held this job, a woman, <laughs> wow. and, which is a big deal at, at the time because this was 1984. So she'd been there since 1944 or what. And, and she was good, but Bursitis and Silicon Valley conspired to make <laughs> it no longer a viable proposition. She couldn't understand computers. And I did. I, I got it. It was lucky. I'm I'm not a coder, I'm not a nerd, but I've always liked new, better ways to do things. And so computers came out in 1981. I mean, I, I uh, rushed up to this place in the north end of Chicago where I lived and bought a K-Pro 2. I don't know if anyone on this <laughs> podcast has any idea what that is. Like I definitely do not. Yeah. <laughs> great sewing machine, right? But um, I mean, I love the fact that you didn't have to retype something every time you wrote and you could use a modem and you didn't have to use Western Union or Telex any, anymore. Anyway, um, I was able to write about these things. I was excited about them. I came out here Long story short, I left. I friggin' hated it. Um, <laughs> I thought, oh, if I come to San Francisco, then working for this old gray Fortune 500 corporation, basically run by old school engineers, everything's going to change magically. And you know what? It didn't. <laughs> Nothing changed except the out the picture in the window outdoors. So <laughs> I, I left, and it was really hard to make a living as a freelance ex San Francisco bureau chief. <laughs> anyway, uh, fast forward about, uh, I left in 85, about, I don't know, six or eight years, I ran into the Gary Halbert uh, newsletter. You know, Gary had this yep. print newsletter and someone sent my business partner a gift subscription. And the first time I looked at it, I, I, I see, I didn't know what the kind of copy that's so commonplace today. It wasn't then. It was really, oh, 
first of all, we still are the black sheep of the advertising world. <laughs> right. Guys on Madison Avenue or wherever the big agencies are located now, think, oh, well, you know, they actually have coupons and ask people to order. How oh, gauche, how, how uncouth. How, cool. yeah. how I mean, dare they? Do a thing about a guy's stylist standing right next to him while he's buying marshmallows or something. <laughs> But I, I wasn't concerned about cool. I was more concerned about paying the rent, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I read this Gary Halbert newsletter and, I, you know, as a writer, writers like to read and they like to read good stuff. And when they read something that's good and they don't know what the hell's going on, it really messes them up. <laughs> At least me. I mean, it might not be true for any other writer, but I, I think it's true for a lot of people when they first come across really compelling direct response copier. And Gary wasn't even selling anything except, you know, his, that, that month's version of doom and, and, uh, <laughs> you know, apocalypse. himself. Yeah. <laughs> In other words, Gary. So <laughs> anyway, um, I started reading this. I read it 20 times. I said, I don't know what this guy's doing, but this is interesting. And, uh, Gary, there was a kind side to Gary. Most people don't realize a very, very, uh, caring, um, uh, almost uh, uh, Bond and Kevin are going to get mad when I say this word, but charitable side to him. Right. And so um, there was a hurricane in Florida called Hurricane Andrew, which wiped out thousands of people's homes. And Gary threw a seminar with every superstar known in, in the direct response entrepreneurial copywriting world to attend, except possibly Gary Benzavenga. He wasn't there, but just about everyone else was. It was free. It was free, but you had to write a check at the end to the Red Cross based on the value you got. So I said, that sounds pretty good to me. Um, I went there. Um, I met John Carlton, who's now a business partner, friend, co-conspirator, uh, <laughs> real thorn in my side every time I talk to him, but I love the guy. Um, I met David Deutsch, I met Carl Galletti, I met Dan Kennedy, I met Gary, of course. I probably met Bond and Kevin, but I think they were too young for any of us to remember. Um, met Ted Nicholas. I just wow. met lots and lots of people. And from there, I said, okay, I'm going to do this. Well, I did it. I, um, I think within that same year, I think within that same year, I wrote a sales letter that ended up making $40 million dollars. Which, uh, oh, by the way, uh, I know I'm good, but I don't do that every day, you know, sort of. <laughs> but it, it, it gave me an idea that there could be something different here. And it, here's the thing, David, every time I would talk to people, not every time, but a lot of times people would come up to me and said, would you teach this to me? Or I met, you know, the famous guerrilla marketing guy, Jay Conrad Levinson, mm -hmm. and within about three minutes of meeting me, he said, would you like to write guerrilla direct mail with me? And th this, this, didn't, this wasn't isolated. This happened over and over. And so I realized, yeah, not only can I do this, but people are asking me to teach or asking me to coach. And I had learned since I had left McGraw-Hill that I liked to do that, but I'd never found a, a profitable way to do that where there'd be any demand until, until the uh, late 90s. And so I started and... You know how it goes when you start doing this. Um, you're you're like a dog searching through garbage, anything you can get, and eventually the um, the four star restaurants start inviting you in and serving you. I mean, I got some really excellent clients, people like Chris Sadad and Mike Morgan and um, right. uh, Ben Montello, and a bunch of people 
who are entrepreneurs that most, most people listening to this podcast, most people in the world have never heard of. People were just growing their businesses by millions. And I found I was uniquely able to teach it because I didn't say, give me 20 copies of this sales letter, you know, bag it. And, and when you're done with that, well, you know, I, I, I would customize the approach. And, and I got better at this over years. I actually went back to school, I don't know, is it 10, 9, 8 years ago and got a master's degree in education. I, oh, wow. I took a PhD level coaching course. 90% of that stuff, I could, I could figure out how to flush it down the toilet. I would, but um, <laughs> there was about 10% of it, which is really valuable. So that was about, about like how others learn and so forth. Well, yeah, it was about how individual learning styles. It was about um, how people learn to develop skills as opposed to how people amass knowledge and then become walking encyclopedias and annoy everyone in their presence, but never really make a lot of money or get much done. Uh, it, it was a lot of things. This is about communication. I, I had a number of clients who taught hypnosis. I had to go through their courses. So I learned a lot about communicating with the unconscious mind, both as a teacher and mentor and as a writer, all kinds of, you know, the main thing was listening. Right. Um, most people really underrate listening and listening is it's a very active skill it it requires uh both being relaxed and being very focused and you know completely shuttering shutting off shuttering your mind shutting off all the noise and uh, you know lots and lots of stuff like that i learned all all kinds of psychology you know there is one psychologist uh, carl rogers and maybe i'll remember this maybe i won't there's somebody i never oh oh yeah i know uh i do know who who i saw this from the top former top fbi hostage negotiator chris voss wrote a wonderful okay. book called never split the difference and we we learned a lot of of carl rogers in my coaching class and carl rogers has this concept called unconditional positive regard which means no matter what someone's saying or doing, you you look at it admiringly and, and without judgment. And, you know, that really does, you know, you're in Monterey, I'm in San Francisco, that really does sound like something out of Esalon or, <laughs> you know, some kind of Northern California woo-woo stuff. But this is a guy who got hostages held at gunpoint released, right? like successfully, and talked and talk the ransom down from a million dollars to $5,000. And he said, this is a key part of it. And I was trained in that for a year. And wow. I, I do see how it works. It doesn't mean never criticize. It means what someone says, unless they're really trying to deceive you. And most people aren't. There are a few who do, you know, there, there are some professional sociopaths and psychopaths. They can reach all levels of our society. But um, the, most people are telling you stuff that would sound batshit crazy if you didn't understand that's how they see it. They're not lying to you. They're not trying to trick you. And once they feel understood and accepted for that, that's when we can start to make progress. No, I think that that's a very good point. I've, I'm encountering uh, something of that in my own personal life uh, as we speak. So I definitely can relate to what you're saying right there. It is yeah. important to see people's viewpoints and be able to understand that that is their actual viewpoint, not that they're maybe right or wrong, but that that's how they see the world. 
And, and it's very real to them. And it's funny you mentioned about your personal life. I don't want to get into yours or mine too much. But <laughs> when, when I was taking the coaching, um, I was going through a, a very difficult family crisis. My mother, um, who'd been a very, very cerebral person, sort of one of these early pioneers, not quite like Maggie, the woman I replaced, or maybe just like Maggie, the woman <laughs> I replaced at, at uh, the San Francisco. She had, she had some form of dementia. We don't know if it was Alzheimer's or, or what it was. And so, uh, as you can imagine, in, in a family where things were always hunky, I didn't grow up in a leave it to beaver family to begin with, you know, real happy, charming family. But we, we had, you know, good communication, good relationships, such as it was. Everything went to hell in a handbasket. And some of the skills I was learning in the coaching training and the coaching program uh, came in real handy with family because when, you know, when, when someone's dying and when someone who's really proud of her mind starts to lose her memory and starts repeating something five or six seconds, you really need to listen and not smirk, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> anyway. That's great. No, so – now let's just take a step back for a second. Now you, sure. you know, read the Gary Halbert letter. You, you became ensconced in the in the world of direct response. Now, when you endeavored to learn copywriting, what process did you use? Um, man, that's a that's a great question. I'm I'm of course um, the shoemaker's children. I, I didn't have I had I had one mentor, but it was much later on. I, it was sort of do it yourself, and um, you know keep stepping from the fire into the frying pan until I realized, Oh, those are hot. Uh, <laughs> I, um, I simply studied everything I could, did everything I could, took every seminar I could, read everything I could and tried everything. I, could. I worked with clients in over a hundred industries. Um, and you know, after a while I started to see patterns and then when people started, when people asked me to teach and I started to teach and create products and started to coach, I had to systematize it. So I wouldn't say I'm self-taught. I'd say I have a lot of teachers, but um, I, it was basically a lot of study. I think I worked harder at learning this both as a subject matter area and as a skill than anything else I've done in my life. Right. Uh, I really wanted it and I needed it and um, I enjoyed it. You know, um, mm -hmm. I, I enjoyed the people I met. They're really quirky, interesting people. Um, quite the McGraw-Hill is uh, Southwest and copywriting would be Northeast. I mean, <laughs> right. it's about as different as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, I mean, Gary was, you know, definitely my biggest influence. Um, Bob Bly, I, I loved his stuff. Um, Bob Serling, right. I remember there was a breakthrough that, that Bob came up with. He probably doesn't publish it anymore, but it was 14 steps to write copy. And suddenly something clicked. I, you know, I studied Ted Nicholas. I, I, I certainly went back and read Scientific Advertising by Claude Hopkins over and over and over again. I, I think I read it 15 or 16 times, you know, and, and all of the classic books like that, Gene Schwartz's Breakthrough Advertising and um, uh, Rosser Reeves's Reality in Advertising and uh, many, many other, and oh, Victor Schwab's book. Book. Right, write um, a good advertisement. Yeah, write a good advertisement. Fantastic book, you know. So, uh, you know, I guess 
the the short answer is anything and everything and and sort of sort it out later you know no i think that's a, i think that's the way i learned i mean i sort of got into it through gary by uh learning that gary had sold me gary's words had sold me something and then say who's this gary guy and and that sort of led me down the rabbit hole now you've uh mentored a bunch of people who've gone on to become superstar copywriters mm-hmm. uh, people that are known of course uh like Chris Haddad, uh, had him on our, on my Takeover Tuesday show a while ago. Yeah. And he said that you, uh, in your critiques, your copy critiques, and I'll, I'll quote him here. He said, they're freaking gold, by the way. And he said, he's on the very short list of folks. Uh, I let look at my copy when I'm working on it. And he always comes up with things I simply would have never thought of. Now, when you're, you were developing sort of your ability, you know, your mentoring ability and your ability to teach. And it sounds like, you know, the courses you took and stuff are really uh, elucidating as to how people go about them. When you started, you know, noticing these patterns and copy and stuff, did you systematize uh, how you approached critiquing people's copy? Oh yeah, I did. I, I tend to systematize everything. And on a really good day when the stars are aligned, I actually follow my own system. <laughs> let's uh, get back on the, on the, on the rails a little bit and let's go okay. into this checklist when you're, cause that's one of the things you do now. The two things you do primarily are to mentor uh, people uh, and to uh, critique. Uh, yeah. And, and the mentoring, you know, that's, that's a, a serious commitment, a year long program, I only have a handful of clients at a time, but the critiques I do all the time. Chris uh, Haddad sent me something yesterday. I'll keep the confidentiality. Won't say what it was, but it was a a VSL. And my gosh, you know, he doesn't need any help. Um, But he he does. We all do. We all need someone to look at our stuff. And I saw one opportunity to put one slide with three words in it. And they were not, I love you or go after yourself. They were, three conversational words and it blew his mind and it's because i could it's it's like a song i could feel the rhythm of this thing and there needed to be a bridge between this slide and that slide it would have dropped too much like you know so so anyway these things it it depends i I could spend you know 90 percent of my time on one of these 11 points uh because like with chris um, it, it, it sort of fell into the first point and that totally changed the letter and, you know, pretty hard to find anything in Chris's stuff that needs any, any help. But anyway, without further ado, <laughs> ta-da. Yeah, ta-da. the first point is grabability of your copy. That, that's a word I think I made up of as a hyphen between grab and ability. But the, the definition of that is, does your copy grab the reader's or the viewer's attention? from the start and does it hold on tight to the close that's so important if you don't do that you know everything else is you know academic trivial uh not important um and you know it could be the headline uh with a dollar bill letter okay you know the famous Mm -hmm. gary halbert dollar bill letter uh i have a client who's a very very bright man and he's um, a good marketer but he's still learning copy he wanted to save space, so he put some stuff to the left of the dollar bill. That's a bad idea. Yeah. You want, well, you you understand this as a magician as well as a copywriter. You want to have all the focus on that dollar bill until they get down to see their name on a line below the dollar bill. Simple thing. Since I'd never seen anyone do it before, I couldn't point to a rule book. But you know, mm-hmm. 
I, I knew I'm, so I'm always looking for positive improvements and I'm always looking for where is this going to go wrong? Mm-hmm. Where is, where is the reader going to fall off the page? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Grabability of your copy is number one. Number two is your claims. <clears throat> claims are promises. Um, and you need to make one. You need to make a big promise at the beginning. You may make other claims in the best of all possible worlds. The other claims will fit into the big claim and support it, expand it, deepen it, make it more attractive, more more sizzling, more irresistible. So the the um, first thing is just by themselves, your claim or claims, how unique and believable are your claims? Let's say you were selling water. And let's say this water quenches your thirst. Well, so does every other water except, you know, Flint, Michigan water, which might kill you. But uh, <laughs> there's a unique claim you don't want to yeah, make. Exactly. But, but, you know, like, okay, so I got sold on this water filtration system that, in, that makes the water more alkaline. And right. that does, so there's some claim that they made to me about the, I don't know, alkaline water improves your immune system or gets you stoned legally or uh, <laughs> helps you run, you know, a, a three-minute mile. I don't remember what they told me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, not only unique, but believable. So um, it probably would have to be more like, immune system than get these stoned legally. But so your claims, how unique and believable are your claims? Now, right under that is proof of claims. Number three, how convincing is your proof? This is probably the area where most copywriters screw up mm-hmm. and the area where the best copywriters are masterful because for most people, they will look at proof as sort of a fill in the blank paint by numbers kind of exercise. Like, well, if, if I have, uh, you know, four testimonials and I tell my origin story, well, uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, it all depends on how it flows in the reading, how a reader will respond, how organic it is, how much it seems like a real conversation, you know? <laughs> and on Tuesday, um, Big Jason Henderson, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Scott Haynes or yeah, yeah. okay. So, um he's Jason's doing a special project where he's finding some of Scott's multi-million dollar letters and he's asking people like me and Carlton and David Deutsch and Mike Morgan and others to to break the letters down for um uh you know sort of a commemorative product that he's doing. And I was looking at a letter Scott wrote in 2009. It was a letter for a, a solar powered generator okay. uh, which which had a, a sealed lead acid battery and so it would work on cloudy days too or it would work indoors after you stored the uh, energy and what he had done with proof was it was like you know it was like a short symphony I mean it just took you through the emotions and just at the point of a crescendo, he says, oh, by the way, yeah, remember, here's the product that, that takes care of all that, protects you from all of these horrible things that I just told you about. Um, now, I'm not, am I saying all proof needs to be like that? Hell no. You know, everything's unique. But the proof, that proof was totally convincing. And, and that was only half of the proof. The other half was all of this detail about how many um, home blenders and toasters you could run on this or how many computers you could run on this or, you know, I mean, and he had this long table. 
And it would seem absolutely ridiculous to someone who is not part of the market or interested in this. But the letter sold millions. It was absolutely crucial proof information for the target prospect, for the avatar, you know? Absolutely. That's great. So next is testimonials, which is sort of a a subcategory of proof. And the, the question is, how well can your target market relate to the people giving testimonials? A lot of marketers will go for the biggest names they can get, the top celebrities and experts in their market. And that's a good kind of testimonial, but if that's all you got, then what's the reader going to conclude? Oh, well, since I'm not a top expert or authority or guru in the market, I guess this really isn't for me. That all happens at an unconscious level and it will kill you, right? So you, you need to have people like your customer or maybe just a notch above your customer, someone who used to be like your customer but solved a problem and is now in a place where your customer would like to be. You know, uh, there again, uh, I don't know how many parameters or systems you can have for figuring all these things out. And I create systems like that. But, you know, at, at least you need to learn the general principle. I mean, one way a person can learn this for themselves is to, you know, take notes, make a list of all these 11 points, and then go look for examples. Right. In copy, both good and bad, and start to figure it out. But of course, it's much smarter to hire me. So, um, <laughs> the next, I'm glad you caught that. Thank you. The, the next one is the objections. Um, how well do you anticipate and answer objections? Uh, this is this is a thing people take personally. Sometimes they have a product, and they can't, can't imagine anyone who would object to it because they've already done the work, they've tested it. Oh yeah, there 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 are many ways. Um, to handle objections. It would take a whole call uh, just to do that. I'd be glad to if you want to sometime. But the the, the shortest cut way uh, that I can tell you now is through an FAQ where you say, you know, here are some questions, questions and objections. Even an objection can be turned into a question instead of, you know, this costs too much. Is you know, why is the price so high, you know? And they say, well, actually, it's not when, and you show them. So you can uh, you can list objections in FAQ. That's a good way to do it. Um, next, next number six. We talked about this a lot. Flow factor. Right. Um, but rather than is the copywriter in a state of flow, flow factor here refers to how well do you develop and refresh curiosity? Right. How effective are your subheads to keep the reader engaged? How smooth are your transitions? How well do you keep building anticipation right up to the close? And by the way, when I'm doing a critique, I'm not sitting there with, you know, a, a checklist and a little meter. You know. <laughs> Anticipation's risen to an eight. <laughs> That's right. There are people who do copy that way. Um, you know, God bless them. But I've sort of got this this internal gut thing. That, uh, oh, yeah, this 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 is awkward. You might it, you might not lose them, but you might confuse them, or you might bring them back into their critical mind, which you don't want to do. You know that as as a magician, as a performer, as well as a copywriter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, you need to smooth it there. So yeah, but I, this is sort of reverse engineered from my more organic process. I think number seven, um, consistency. Are there logical and or emotional inconsistencies that need to be fixed? <laughs> I mean, I, I've seen this. This is sort of sad when people do cut and paste stuff and the, the person writing the letter is named George at the beginning and at the end, <laughs> his name. Is, and, and he said to me, Jane, why did I, you know, and 
Well, no, he's still got to be named George at the end. There, there are. <laughs> oh, wait, he went to Sweden in the spirit of Chris Jenner. No, can't do that. Okay. Um, so number eight, and this is what you were talking about, and I am sure have thought about a lot and are very good at. Well, I know you're very good at it, and that is rapport and empathy. Right. And my gosh, that that's a that's a complex uh, skill set. And it's developable. Developable. Anyone can learn it. And it it may take some time and some work and some attempts that aren't quite there yet. But the, the main question I'm looking for and the main question every person reviewing their own copy or someone else's is to the writer, how well do you make your prospect feel comfortable mm-hmm. with the languaging and the tone of your message? Right? Right. Um, number nine, stories. How effective and intriguing are your stories. Everybody knows how to tell a story. Most people who tell fairly decent stories when they're speaking get a little stilted and, and awkward when they try and write stories down. So you need to edit the stories down to the nub. They need to seem conversational. But Dave, if you've ever listened to someone in Starbucks tell a story, they're going to repeat themselves a lot, yeah. go off on tangents, um, focus in on details that are totally boring and leave out details that would have made the story make sense. So you don't want to make it conversational in that way. You want it to be conversational language and a logical flow and a very informal, easy to read, easy to understand way with a story. Uh, Number 10 is what you were talking about with the first copy you read from Gary Halbert before you even knew it was Gary's copy. And that's bullet points. He was the master of that. Gosh. And and, and, uh, I think you'll really appreciate the question I came up with because this is what made you buy. The question is how much sales power does each bullet point have? Right. There's a, a good bullet point will do exactly what you described your experience as, which is sometimes, you know, once you've set the stage, once you've uh, set the frame, made the claim, given them the big idea, made the big promise, one bullet point can close a sale by itself. Right. And so, and, you know, some, some great copywriters will rewrite their bullet points three or four times, sometimes spend half a day on one of them. And it makes all the difference when you're mailing to millions or, mm-hmm. you know, running millions of clicks through uh, Facebook or Google or some other online ad. And then finally, your clothes. How strong and appealing is your clothes? Uh, to paraphrase Zig Ziglar, uh, timid copywriters have skinny kids. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, close with gusto and enthusiasm. You know, uh, a lot of people say, well, I don't want to sell it to the wrong person. And I don't either. I think you can make a lot more money always striving to discourage and dissuade the per- the wrong person to buy it. But by the same token, you should give it everything you've got to the right person. You should give them every reason to buy, especially if you have a guarantee and especially if you believe it's a good product or a good service. And that's also important by itself. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I've heard people often talk about, you know, it being almost phrasing it like it's your duty. If you have a product that does solve that problem, it's your duty to try to get it in the hands of people that need it. I I think that's true, especially since a lot of products that are generally available are sort of eh, bland as far as whether or not they can sell products. Some of the best products are are sold through direct marketing. And there's also some stuff that's not so good, but some of the best things available are sold through direct marketing. So you have to push a little harder, maybe, because maybe you're only shot to to convince them. But yeah, if you have something that's going to solve a problem for somebody that they need to have solved, 
you should try and do that. Absolutely. 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 Well, that is a comprehensive checklist. That's uh that's great. I'll, I'll be uh, stealing that. <laughs> Please do. That's why I shared it. That's exactly. <laughs> no now for people, uh, cause you've given a lot of knowledge, uh, over this last hour, it's gone by like a flash, you know, if people want to get a hold of you on a, uh, drink the, uh, Garfinkel Kool-Aid on, on, on their copy and, and, uh, how do they go about finding you? Okay. That's easy. It's, it's garfinkelcoaching.com, okay. uh, G A R F I N K E L coaching.com. And I'm sure everyone will remember that except for the people who forget it. The, then the way they can <laughs> find me is davidgarfinkel.com. It'll redirect to garfinkelcoaching.com. Okay. Now you have your own uh, podcast coming out as well. Uh, by the time this is released, it should be live. And uh, where's where do we find that at? That is at copywriterspodcast.com. It's, it's just like it sounds, C-O-P-Y-W-R-I-T-E-R-S. P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I really want to thank you for coming on the show, David. Man, this is this has been excellent, and uh, I was really looking forward to it, and you, you really delivered. Thank you. It was my pleasure. You are fun to talk to, and <laughs> that is a very high compliment coming from me. I'll just leave, it, <laughs> leave that there. You can figure out why. <laughs> well, we will do it again uh, soon, because uh, I think love cover, covering the objections and stuff, uh, I think that's a good topic as well. And and I, I think we have to meet somewhere between uh, Salinas and San Jose for coffee, <laughs> or maybe we could find a better place. <laughs> <laughs> it was somewhere near Salinas, Lord, I let him have a cup of coffee. All right. I think you're right. And for everyone listening to this podcast, of course, we'll be back with another. Only can only hope they're half as entertaining as David is uh, on the next edition. <laughs> Until then. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you want to discover more insider tips, tricks, and secrets about driving sales with email marketing, sign up for daily email tips from the autoresponder guy. Go to dropdeadcopy.com slash podcast, sign up, confirm your email address, and I'll send you daily emails on how to improve your email marketing and make more sales via email. You'll find out why open rates don't matter and the seven-letter word that underlies all effective marketing and much more.